You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be with all of you in one room at the same time. I'm praising the Lord for that. Um, really happy to be in this place. Amen. My name is Will, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Psalm chapter 90. Um, and uh, I want to make a couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, uh, kids, any second through fourth graders, um, really kids of any any age younger than fourth grade, you guys can uh, be dismissed. A lot of them went to class early just for the sake of space, but uh, up that ramp and straight through connects to the kids and operations building. And so um, you guys can be dismissed at this time and they'll take care of checking them and getting to the right class. Um, Man, thank you all so much. Uh, we, we sat around at one point this week, um, our, our staff, and, and talked about uh, all the people that, that worked. And it was easier to try to think of people that didn't work on the building. And it was, it was hard to th- even come up with people that are, that are members of this church that didn't work on this place. And so um, I, thank you isn't enough. And I, I just want to continue to say it over and over. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your investment. Um, and, and what this means. And having said that, I, I want to continually emphasize, and you all know that I will, that, that we don't worship this place. Jesus doesn't live here, um, but, but this is a place that God has blessed us with, and we want to steward it well. We want to be faithful stewards to what God has blessed us with. And so um, it is a joy to be on this journey with you. We've come a long way since Giovanni's, amen? And, um, and so... Uh, you know, some days I'd like to go back to Giovanni's, but um, I, like I'm, I'm nervous right now. I've never preached to all y'all at the same time, and uh, so we'll, we'll do the best we can. But uh, we're, we're continuing in our uh, His Playlist sermon series uh, where we go through the books of Psalms. And, um, and as we look at Psalms in this Advent season, uh, we're going to kind of draw our attention to uh, how God founds us and, and builds us on the foundation of his son Jesus. And, um, and really, I think it's fitting for the season that we're in as a church and building uh, physically as well as spiritually on foundations that have been laid as we seek to grow and, and see uh, conversions and people come to Christ. And so if you're looking for a church to connect into, uh, please consider coming back next week. I had multiple text messages from people that, that aren't even here, that, that they were blessed by seeing people walking to church this morning. What a, what a blessing that is, amen? Um, and we could complain about the parking. I know it sucks. Like, I get that. Um, I parked at our old church. I don't know if y'all saw my truck down there, but I was trying to set a good example. Leslie was like, it was a little overkill. You didn't have to park that far away, but... Um, <laughs> But, but what a joy to literally y'all shut down Main Street. I mean, it's just like, there's nowhere, there's nowhere that there aren't cars. And so thank you for showing up today. And we pray you'll continue to do that week after week as we just show this community uh, the testimony that we believe in a risen king. And we come every Sunday to worship him. And so uh, let's jump into the Psalms together. Um, Listen, Psalm, Psalm 90 is, is written by Moses. It is the oldest psalm that we have. The title of it is From Everlasting to Everlasting. Now, something about the psalms is if you, if you have a Bible with you, a lot of times it has like a heading in, in different 
paragraphs, your chapters or sections of your Bible, those are usually added by translators except in the Psalms. The Psalms are songs that were written um, in the Old Testament time that were sung by God's people. This is Jesus's hymnal, basically. And these titles on the Psalms are actually original. They weren't added by the translators. These were the original titles. And so Moses, the author of this Psalm, uh, named this song from everlasting to everlasting, um, meaning that he speaks to the, the age of God, if you will. And, and that's what I want to kind of set our attention on as we begin. This is the only psalm that we have from Moses, by the way. Um, so there are 150 psalms, only one of them uh, we have that was written by Moses. Uh, therefore, it makes this the oldest psalm, and so it's fitting that it speaks to the age of God. Um, I've had children ask me how old God is. Well, I think, you know, the pop culture answer would be however old Morgan Freeman is. That's about the age we think of when we think of how old God is. Right? We always kind of picture God as an old man. Um, but, but God does not age. And so it, it really wouldn't be accurate to picture him as an old man because God is beyond time. He is eternal. And I love that he is not just everlasting into the future. He's everlasting into the past as well. He is from everlasting and to everlasting. Uh, we are not, amen? We get old, and, and I feel that more and more every year that goes by. Uh, my daughter and I went to a concert last week when we didn't have church. We skipped church and went to this rock concert, and one of the guitarists was wearing Jinko jeans. You, you guys remember those? I know some of, some of y'all wore those. I, I could not pull that off today, right? Like when you're 36, you can't wear Jinko jeans anymore. And um, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like, I'm, I'm old. When, when the things that were cool when you were a teenager become cool again, that's how you know you're old, okay? That's, the, that's how you figure it out. And, and so as we look at the age of God, Moses is going to draw our attention to the fact that God does not age at all. And it's what makes us want to worship him. And it's one thing to acknowledge eternality into the future, because as, as Christians, we believe we will live forever, right? We were created at one point, we will exist forever into eternity future, but it's a whole other thing to try to imagine eternity past. You ever think about your earliest memories? Like, like God has no earliest memories, he has always been. He is eternal past, present, and future. And so let me, let me uh, break this psalm into three points. Number one, we'll look at the majesty of God. Moses begins his song by pointing our minds to how majestic God is. Secondly, he, he brings our attention to the brevity of life, how, how brief our stay on this earth is. And then thirdly, I'll try to apply that to your life by showing you the work of our hands. Let's look at the first one, the majesty of God. He begins the song by putting our lives in right perspective in comparison with our creator. And so if we're going to worship God rightly, and I hope that you want to do that, then we have to know who he truly is. But, you know, a lot of people want to worship God only for the attributes that they like about God. And, and can, can we just be honest enough to say sometimes God does things that we don't like? He doesn't need our approval for his plan. But the reality is, is we can be honest and admit that, that sometimes God's plan is, is unpleasing to us, is uncomfortable to us. But that does not mean that he is not worthy of worship or that he's not good. And so some people will try to pick and choose the attributes of God. Well, I don't worship the loving God, but I want to ignore the wrath of God. It doesn't work that way. You're not worshiping the one true God if you leave out certain attributes of him. And so Moses does a really good job, of course, because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, to bring out all the attributes of God. And he begins with his eternality, how he has always been. Let me read 
verses one through six of this psalm. The song begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This picture that Moses is painting here is, is in the opening stanzas is, is one of how majestic our God is. He is big. He is sovereign. He is eternal. And Moses chose to begin his song by emphasizing that attribute of God. He says in verse one, the opening of the song, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. If y'all went to Sunday school, do you remember Moses' story? He, he's the, Moses, just for context, is the one who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt and led them to the edge of the promised land. But before he got to the promised land with all of the nation of Israel, he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you remember what happened after he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? He wasn't allowed to enter the promised land and he died. He, he spent the last four decades of his life just walking around in the desert, just camping. Like y'all camp? It's like being intentionally homeless for a short period of time. Moses did that for four decades. And, 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 and then he writes this song, you've been our dwelling place through generations. That Moses, for Moses, he didn't need permanency. He didn't need to, to have the temple that would eventually be built in Israel. He didn't need to have the homes that they would come into the land and inherit that they didn't build or the wells that they didn't dig. He didn't need those things to be able to praise his God and said, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Because dwelling in the Lord is not a physical place, it's a spiritual place. It's understanding that wherever we are, we are on holy ground, that we follow him and we worship him no matter what our circumstances are, no matter where we find ourselves. You see, he understands that the Lord himself is our home, not what they were trying to attain or achieve or get to when they got to the promised land, but even in the midst of the sorrow and the difficulty of the wilderness, that the Lord was their dwelling place. And so let me tell you and remind you, your security is not in your home. Your security is not in your wealth. Your security is not in your career or any of your comforts, your security and your rest and your hope are all wrapped up in your creator. And it is gifted to you by the incarnation of God in the Son, Jesus Christ. That he comes and, and is born among humans and lives a perfect life and dies on a cross and raises from the dead to gift freely to us this rest eternally. That our dwelling place can be in the one true God. Moses continues in verse two, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is the title of the song here, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So not only is God eternal, but he has always been in charge. He has always been Lord. He's always been God. You see, our, our finite and brief lives find their purpose in the eternality of the sovereign God. Without his eternality, we could never ourselves be eternal. And our culture is consumed by the exact opposite of, of longevity. It, our our culture is consumed by brevity, quickness, immediacy. 
You guys remember watching the Jetsons and being awed at the fact that they could put like a pill in a, in a, in a little cabinet and it comes out as a turkey? Like, we, well, now we have air fryers. It does that. We had Hot Pockets as a transitionary, evolutionary, culinary step to that. But, but we've, we were like, hey, we want to do what that cartoon does. And so we've sped up cooking, and we've sped up everything, and we've even sped up church. And we try to condense everything into as quickly as we can get it. We want to drive through and get our dinner. We want to drive through and get our worship on. My, when my wife sends me a TikTok that is longer than 60 seconds, I'm like, who has time for this? Ain't nobody got time for that two-minute TikTok, right? Gross. The only person I know that's seemingly exempt from our rapid culture is Jeremy Berry. He told me this week, he listened to a three-hour debate on papal authority. I don't know why he wanted to do that. I don't know how he had the time to do that, but he got up early to do that. Only him. But this psalm calls us to something that's so much better than the quickness that we try to find in our culture. It calls us to rest in something. It calls us to to be willing to hit pause on our busy schedule so that we can focus on who the Lord is and rest in him and understand that he's our dwelling place. Not, Not just for an hour on Sundays, through all generations, that for us and for our children and the legacy that we leave to spiritual sons and daughters, he is our dwelling place. He's our resting place. You see, we're worshiping a God who is eternal, and that should make this time that we gather feel weightier and more important to us. Verse 4 tells us about this God, that a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. That means just a, a short shift or period of time in the night. That a thousand years are just like less than a day in the scope of God's sovereign existence. And so what we should be realizing is that our brief lives exist for the purpose of not our, our comfort in this brief life or our achievements or success in this brief life or the little kingdoms or buildings that we build in this brief life, but the eternity that we are on our way to. That's why we exist. And so let's, let me uh, shift and, and move to the second half of the psalm, or the second portion of the psalm, and look at point two, which is the brevity of life. He transitions, Moses here transitions to focus not on the eternality of God, but in the, in the next section of the song, he begins to write about how short our lives are in comparison to how eternal God is. And let me just warn you, it gets a little bit dark, okay? Verse 7 says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. For you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? This is like the dark and heavy metal breakdown in the song. Okay, It just gets really, uh, really morbid talks about the brevity of our life and how, how short our years are and, and ultimately that God is the one that's in, in charge of that. And, and, and the, I think in reality, we all see this happen, amen? That, that the older we get, the more funerals we attend. And the more of those funerals that we attend are people who have passed away that are not just old people, but they are people who are our peers, 
we begin to see how, how, how real the shortness of life is. And I, listen, I'm 36 years old, I think, if I can remember right. And as much as I hate to admit it, that's, that's middle age, according to this psalm. Some of you like, like 55-year-olds walk around talking about midlife crisis. Y'all are pretty optimistic, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, <laughs> Verse 10 says the years of our life are 70. All right, so if I'm doing my math, right, like I'm, I'm at midlife here. Or even by reason of strength, 80. You know, I've learned, here's what I've learned in my old age and wisdom is that when Bon Jovi sang that song, Living on a Prayer, that was a cry, a battle cry of midlife crisis. Whoa, we're halfway there. It's a realization that he's having, right? And then we're living on a prayer. Like we need the prayer requests of the church to just not hurt so much in the mornings. Listen, the life expectancy right now of an American male is 77, so proving the psalm right, between 70 and 80. But the life expectancy of females is 81. So ladies, y'all are doing a little bit better. So if there's any men in the room that are in their 70s, it's about time to start thinking about transitioning uh, so you can get those extra four years in there, okay? All right, let me get back to the Bible. The second half of verse 10, that was a delayed laugh. Some of y'all took you a minute, okay? Second half of verse 10 tells us about those 70 to 80 years that that God, if if he's gracious and we're uh, blessed enough to get them, tells us what those will be like. And Moses says that their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So what do we do in light of this? this? Is this psalm just to make us sad? Is it just to, to, to make us maybe even angry at the fact that our lives are not longer? No, it's to bring our attention to the fact that we ought to be aware of the brevity of our lives. That we ought to do everything in our power to make our lives count. Amen? I mean, consider your average week and what you spend your time doing. And, and ask yourself, of all the things you spend effort and time on this past week, how much of it will last forever, is eternal. Everything that will last eternal has to be an investment in people, not things. Now, don't become fatalistic and believe that nothing matters. That's not what I'm preaching. Some of y'all are going to be like, Will said taking the trash doesn't last, taking the trash out doesn't last eternally, so I'm not going to do it, right? Some of y'all are going to be like, those five to seven business days to fold the laundry, like we're just not going to fold it anymore because it doesn't last eternally. It doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. Listen, your work, your job, your chores, mundane rhythms of your life matter, and they are important. Like, you have to function. But discipleship of our children, evangelism of the lost, the worship of our eternal God matters so much more. You know, what I've learned is that most of sanctification is actually learning to rightly prioritize and rightly order our lives on the things that matter most. You know that lyric in... John Newton's song, Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. From that puts us in the right frame of mind that, that 10,000 years in heaven is just the beginning. It, it helps us to get in the right frame of mind that, that we can, a helpful filter for the anxiety and the worries and the stress of life is how much will what I'm worrying about today matter 10,000 years from now? 
It's so hard for us to keep that in mind, though, isn't it? And the reason is, is because temptation and sin and depravity and the fallen state of our world get in the way. We see this in verse 8. Moses says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. So let me be clear about this. There's no part of your life that is hidden from God. There's nothing that you can keep secret from the one who is from eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. There is nothing that you can hide from him. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This reality is what leads Moses to write a song that progresses from praise to fear. And it seems like a really weird song to us. The song begins praising God, and then it moves to fear of God's anger and wrath. Why, like There aren't a whole lot of worship songs that do that. Why did they sing in that way? Because they had a right understanding that their sin angered a holy God. And, and if we are going to worship God truly, we come with joy for sure. But we also come knowing that our sin angers a perfect and holy God. And look again at how Moses finishes this section in verse 11. He says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? What Moses is doing is building a cliffhanger here. How's the song going to end? Because it's a little bit too dark right now. Matter of fact, if sermons end on this note, it's not, it's not a complete sermon. Listen, you guys that have been coming to New Heights for a little while know that I'm not a rainbows and unicorns and fairy tales and fluff kind of preacher, right? I'll tell you how much you suck and I won't pull no punches about it, okay? And I'll be right there with you, all of us, jacked up sinners. But if I stop there, it's not a, it's not a complete sermon. That's not good news. That's just bad news. We have to get to the good news. And so what Moses does is he, he praises God he acknowledges the fallen and depraved state of man, but then he doesn't leave us there because the song isn't over. What's the middle ground? Where does the eternal perfect God meet the finite sinful man? Well, it meets here, and here's the meaning of life, the secret sauce, making your life count. Making it matter. David Platt, on, on his commentary on this psalm, wrote this, when you know God is eternal, and you know your time on earth is limited, then you make each day count for that which will last in eternity. Live today for what lasts forever. Isn't that good? Live today for what lasts forever. So we need to make our relatively short amount of days turn into something that, that that what this is, this is actually what the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus coming, this is what it's all about. Jesus stepped into a moment that would matter eternally. You know, Jesus is God. He didn't begin at Christmas. He has always existed. But he stepped into a moment of a 33-year life that would matter eternally and impact eternally and bring salvation to sinners like you and me. And so you can touch eternity this week. When we come and gather on this Lord's Day, you can touch eternity from a finite state. And this is how Moses ends his song. Point three is the work of our hands. In verse 12, he begins this transition with a very important transition word, so. In light of the fear of God, the anger of God at our sin, 
his power, his majesty, in light of all of those things that came prior in the song, he says, so, in verse 12. And he writes, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Imagine if you knew the date of your death. Maybe if you're blessed and lucky, it might be 40, 50, 60 years from now. Imagine if you knew that. Would it, if it was that far out, would it change how you live today? Maybe not. It's a long ways away. But what if it were five years from now? What if it were at the end of the month? Or what if it was today at noon? Would it change the way that you sit here and listen to the Word of God? Would it change the way that you take communion in a moment? Would it change the way that you sing to God in a moment? You see, Moses is essentially saying that we can keep our death in sight, and if we do that, then we gain a heart of wisdom. If we number our days, and if we know they are numbered, then we will gain wisdom. In Rome, when generals were celebrated, after, after Roman generals would go out and win a, a battle or a victory, they would have parades to celebrate them when they came back to the cities. And they would assign slaves to accompany them and literally whisper in their ears, memento mori, which is a, a Latin phrase that means, remember, you must die because they didn't want their generals getting too proud. Can you imagine, like, if we did that, like, you get, you get like, a promotion at work, the boss is shaking your hand, there's just somebody like, you're going to die, like, whispering in your ear. <laughs> you're graduating, you know, cap and gown, you're going to die. But the reminders of death are, are actually, you know, hope, hopefully it's not someone whispering that in your ear. That's creepy. But the reminders of death are actually all around us. They really are. Life is hard. It's filled with loss and grief. It's filled with affliction and with evil. Verse 13 says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Moses is acknowledging the pain of life. He says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. And so if, if Christians are so confident that we will inherit eternal life when we die, then wouldn't they want to die? I mean, this is kind of an intrusive thought, but wouldn't that be good for the Christian? Paul actually deals with this in Philippians 1. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, meaning earth and heaven. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is better. Evidently, Paul was going through such suffering that he was saying, I would be so much happier if I would die and be with Christ. But then in the next verse, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so why do we commit to living life? Why do we commit to choosing life and staying here? Because of purpose. Because of the reason that God has placed us here so that we can make our lives count to the glory of our God. Really think about the words that Moses uses. In verse 15, he says, make us glad. The Hebrew word also means thankful. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Make us thankful for all our years of affliction and suffering and toil. We gathered a bunch of pastors here on Thursday, and, and one of them, Josh Perry, who pastors Redemption Church, he, he prayed a prayer and he thanked God for COVID and the suffering that we've endured. And, and, it, and it felt so unnatural to thank God for those things, but this is literally what this psalm is praying, and it's, it's in other parts of the Bible too, that we thank God for affliction. Why would we do that? Because we see the purpose in it. 
Listen, child of God, if all you see in your life is pain, today let me call you to lift your eyes and see the purpose in it. 80 years, if you're lucky, is less than 1% of the 10,000 years that we sing about when we sing Amazing Grace. And that does, even those 10,000 don't scratch the surface of eternity. Verse 16 says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Why do we press on? Because the next generations need our testimonies. The people that aren't in church today need our witness that God takes us through trials and sustains us and saves us and redeems us. And if God wills that we must endure an infinitely small fraction of, of, of pain in our life comparative to eternity, count me in. Amen? That, that if the rest of my days are suffering in the name of Christ, but I get forever in bliss with him, count me in. May the toil of my life show God's grace to everyone around me and to my children and their children forever and ever. Verse 17, the last verse, says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, God, God knew this building in the 40s when it was built as a theater. When, you know, Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs played music up here. That's pretty cool, right? 1957, they came and played here. But then when we walked in, it wasn't that cool. There was a Volkswagen Beetle sitting up here. <laughs> God knew this place would become a place where lives were forever changed, where people would place their hope in Jesus, where not just that they would come to a place, but they would carry that gospel message that they receive here into the lives of children and families and friends and peers that would take the gospel to the nations. And we can look around this building, and today we can pray, oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Make it so. Make all these things that we've worked on and swung hammers at and built and sweat over, make it be something not that we can just be proud of, but can serve his eternal purpose. And not just a place, but our entire lives, Lord, establish the work that we do with our life. Establish the conversations that we have with our children. Establish the, the gospel sharing that we do in the work of evangelism. Establish our work of discipleship. The work of our hands matters. What we do with our days matters. And being active in the Lord's church pleases him. And it impacts eternity. And you get the privilege to be a part of that. It's not centered on a building or a place. God's mission is centered on his people, the church. And so we pray, let the favor of the Lord be upon us for his glory and for our good. If you've not placed your hope in Jesus, I want to call you to that today. The reason that we invest so much money and time into a place like this is so people can meet Christ. And so if you've not asked him to forgive you of your sins, the, listen, let me just tell you the good news is that all of the, the wrath of God that, sh that, that rightly is on you for all the wrongs that you've ever done is lifted if you just repent of sin. 
To repent means to turn, to change your mind, to turn away from sin and hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus took all of the wrath of God upon himself so you wouldn't have to bear it. He took it on his shoulders as he carried a cross up to Calvary. And they put nails through his hands and his feet. And he bled and he died on that cross and they laid him in a tomb. And as he rose on the third day, rose back to life, he declared that he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And this world can afflict me, torture me, bring suffering to me, but they cannot touch my soul that's been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And I want that for all of you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.